Open the Bible to Genesis chapter 21 with me. We're continuing on in this series entitled The Blessing, and we're looking at the topic that's very important for us to understand, covenant. Covenant. My sermon is entitled, Let's Make a Deal. Let's Make a Deal. We have a love-hate relationship with this TV show in my family, and it is the TV show called Shark Tank. Uh, Any Shark Tank fans out there? Yeah, I am not a Shark Tank fan. My wife is, and that's why it's a love-hate relationship. My wife and my boys love Shark Tank. I don't like it. Here's why. Uh, They like it because they love watching people make deals. They love this entrepreneurial spirit. The bottom line, if you've never seen Shark Tank, is the sweet, modest, hardworking entrepreneurs come. And usually... They've created some product for like babies or puppies. Um, they're like so sweet. And they come, but their, their problem is they don't have enough money and they also know that they need some expertise. And so they come to, to these CEOs, this group of CEOs. Let's show a picture. Here they are. No, don't show that picture yet. That's too tender. This is the picture of these, these sharks, right? And, and they come and these, these guys have all made millions. Some have made billions. And so they're going to present their idea. Now, here's the typical person who comes, little kids. And they're these great little aspiring entrepreneurs, and they're coming, and they're saying, we need help. We have this great idea, and, and, but we need some more finances, and, and, and we need your help. And, and so they bring this to these sharks. And here's why, why I don't like it. I don't like it because these sweet, modest you know, kind entrepreneurs, they're, they're, they present their ideas, and then these tough, hard CEOs, they're like, they, 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 they reject them. And so my empathy gift, you know, some of them always get rejected, and then some of them are like, hey, I'll jump in with you, but they always want more. They always want more of the piece of business, and, and I'm like, these sweet people, it's like they're in a tank, and there's all these sharks prowling around them. And... <laughs> And so it's like hard for my heart, right? Because I'm like a compassion, empathy guy. And, and, but here's the bottom line. Here is what a deal is. A, a deal is two parties coming together and each saying, hey, I have something. I have something. But you also have something that I want. And you have something that I want. So let's make a deal so we can both profit off of it. And so in this sense, it's the, the entrepreneurs are like, hey, we have a great product, but we need you. We need your money and your expertise. And they're saying, hey, you have a great product. And I just keep eating up more and more businesses and I get richer and richer. And so let's make a deal. Okay. You can tell I have a little aversion towards Shark Tank. You could pray for me after the service. But throughout the Old Testament, you see people coming to make deals. And these deals are called covenants. So let me take you into a pretty typical one that Abraham was making in Genesis 21. Genesis 21, verse 22, we're in the ESV is where we're going to look. It says this, at that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. So they're looking at Abraham and by now, you know, Abraham has been living a while, and the people have seen, like, wow, whatever Abraham does, God's hand is on his life. That's what I want for you, by the way, all people's church. 
Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, hey, I I don't know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a... The two men made a, right, a covenant, a deal, an agreement, a treaty. Abraham set seven ewes of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, and this is my witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because these both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. So here we have it. Here's original shark tank in the Old Testament. We have little Abraham. We have rich Abimelech and Phicol. Abraham and, and Abimelech both have something that each other want. Abimelech looks at Abraham and says, hey, from you, I need peace. Like, everywhere you go, if anyone messes with you, like the living God comes and smacks them. And he's like, and even, Abraham, I've watched your little army. Like, you with 300 men went and attacked four armies when they did you wrong. You beat them all up. So, here's what I want from you. I want peace. Will you offer to live in peace with me? Abraham goes, yes, I will. Here's what I need from you. I need this well that I dug on this land, and your guys are saying it's not mine and we can't drink from it, so I need a well. So Abimelech says, okay, let's make this deal. You give me peace, you don't beat me up, you don't have your God beat me up, and in return, I'll let you have the well. Abraham says, great, if I can have the well, then I promise I won't, I won't beat you up, so here's how we're going to do it. We're going to bring some animals together. You're going to give me things. I'm going to give you things. And we're going to go through this covenant ceremony. Uh, the closest thing <clears throat> that you've done to this is you've either uh, bought a house where you actually went and, and you had a, a, a notary come and you signed something saying, okay, now I've paid money for this and this business, this, this bank uh, uh, this, this property now belongs to me. Or you've been a part of a covenant ceremony, man and woman stand up, she's in a white dress, he's in a black suit, they hold hands and say, I promise to do this, to love, honor, and cherish. This is my covenant to you. He says this, hey, I take you, I promise to love, honor, and cherish till death do us part. We each have this covenant. I'm making this covenant that I will live this way. I'm making this covenant that I will live this way. Boom, we are together in an agreement. Let's look at what a covenant is in the Bible. The Hebrew word is bereath, bereath. What does that mean? It, it, it literally means a treaty, a compact, an agreement between the two parties. The root word of that is to cut or cutting, to cut or cutting. Okay, where, where does this come from? Where does this cutting come from? Now, this is where we're going to dive into our primary passage of the day. Okay, and I want you to dive in with me. Please 
try to pay attention. Keep your thinking cap on. We're going to go pretty deep here. You're going to see some things that are going to amaze you because here's why this matters to you. Here's why covenant matters to you is because you have a covenant God. You have a covenant God who is making a covenant with you today, or he has made a covenant with you in the past. And I want you to understand this because this is going to put your heart and your mind at peace permanently. If you grab this, if you lay hold of this, this will give you a peace for the rest of your life. Many Christians haven't grabbed hold of the fact that God is a covenant God, and so they live in a place of insecurity. They live in a place of feeling inadequate. They live in a place of feeling like they never measure up. You need to lay hold of this today. This will change your understanding and your life forever. So let's now move back to Genesis 15. I skipped far ahead of where we were. We're going back to Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? Okay, so he realizes, hey, I don't have a kid, and I'm, Abraham is about 100 years old. So he's like, hey, when I die, all this stuff you gave me is going to go to someone else. And Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, and if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord, who brought you up out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. And as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. I mean, I could preach on this for days, because you know that all this stuff happened. What God says... He does. This all happened. If you've ever had like trouble, is God real? Just read this and then look at history and see that God did everything. How can anyone do that? It's because he's God. Okay. All right. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, this is cool, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared like and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a, the Lord made a, 
with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Katamanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites. Okay. Uh, Steph and I felt so much like Abraham and Sarah when we moved to San Diego. God had us leave everything that made sense. We owned a home outright. We didn't even have a mortgage on it. We owned a home that we had built for our family. We uh, left a thriving ministry, over 800 college students in our ministry. Uh, it was the land of my family. Uh, we had homes and, and lands there. And we came and went on a journey to a place where we knew no one called San Diego. And as we came here, it was challenging. We did not have a place to live. Many of you know our story. We couldn't even have a, find a place to rent. And so we land here, and, and we found a hotel that said it was near SeaWorld. Uh, instead, it was on Rosecrans. That is not near SeaWorld. And it was overlooking two strip clubs called The Body Shop. I thought, oh, man, they really care about cars here. No, that wasn't for cars. And we're looking down. I'm thinking, what in the world have we done? And God spoke again. And you see, that's what God does. When you are willing to follow him, the covenant God, on a journey, and you take off into the unknown, he doesn't just speak once and say, now that's the rest of your life. He meets you along the journey. And so that night, I'm sitting there. My wife and kids are asleep. I don't have the same gift of falling asleep in troubled times that they have. And so I'm up at the window, staring over the body shop, unfortunately, and and I'm, I'm crying, going, what have I done? And the Lord speaks and says, you will see the greatest revival this city's ever seen. Now, we're still waiting on that. I'm not going to see it alone. You're going to see it. Many churches in San Diego are going to see that. There is a promise from the living God that revival will come to San Diego. But I want to tell you that he's a covenant God, and it doesn't mean just because you're going on a journey that things are going to be easy. So for years, we moved from place to place. We didn't immediately have a house. It took seven years. We moved 12 times. Many times we were living in people's couches. It was challenging, but can I tell you, when God makes a promise, God is faithful to his promises. He is a covenant making God. And so God had come and given this promise to Abraham that first he would be good to him. So I want to I show you this, this first thing in this covenant that God makes. He says this, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. Point number one today you have to understand God's covenant to you. you have to under, if you're going to understand it, you have to understand God's character. If you're going to understand God's covenant, you're going to understand, you have to understand his character. I didn't want, when I was a child, I grew up in church, I was a Christian since I was seven. I did not want to go on a journey with God because I thought he wanted to ruin my life. Anyone ever think that before? Like, God, I don't want to get too close to you because you're going to tell me to do something that you, I don't want to do. I don't, I, I really, that's how I felt. I don't want to get too close because then I have to give up my life because he's going to tell me to do something. I, for me, I was like, I just know he's going to make me a missionary to Africa. Like, I, I, I know, right? And so I had this thought, God wants to ruin my life. 
So I want you to see the very first thing that God speaks to Abram in this covenant ceremony. He says this. What does he say? I am your shield. What does that mean? It means I will protect you. I will stand in front of you. I want to keep you from getting hurt. Can I tell you today, you have to understand God is your shield. He's not trying to destroy your life. He's trying to protect your life. Now the problem is if you try to protect your life, you'll lose it. The Bible says if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you will find it. The, the goal of this life is learning to trust God and give him our life. Point number two, though, he doesn't just say, I'm your shield. He says, I'm your very great reward. I thought God just wanted to take from me. But God establishes himself and reveals himself as the God who actually wants to reward you. The Bible says that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Let me ask you today, are you 100% convinced that he's your shield and your great reward? Because your success in the kingdom of God is dependent on that. You've got, if you're not there, don't beat yourself up. Just ask God, God, I, I need, this is what I prayed every day for years. I need a greater revelation of your character. God, I need a greater revelation of your love for me. That's a great, if you don't know what to pray, start praying that every day. God, give me a greater revelation of your love for me. Give me a greater revelation of your character. Reveal yourself more to me because you need to understand the character of God because if you understand the character of God, then you begin trusting God. So the first thing he does is he reveals how good he is to Abraham. This is uh, why it's so important. I I'm going to preach to the choir for a second because you're here how do we get a greater revelation of God's character? We get a, a greater revelation by putting ourselves in places where God is moving. So congratulations, everyone. Pat yourself on the back. Say, way to be at church. Because this isn't just fulfilling some religious obligation. What you're doing is you're putting yourself in God's house. And you know what? When someone hangs out in my house, I'm, I'm a dad. When someone hangs out in my house, they get to know me. Right? So you hang out. The church is known as the Father's house. You get to know God. So way to be in church. I can't tell you how many times I've had great encounters and revelations from God, about God, when I've been in God's house. That's why we spend daily time with God. I, I, I walked in, and, and he continues to reveal himself. I walked uh, back from my walk into our living room, and my wife, you know, she's, she has tears in her eyes. I didn't tell you that, you were, that I was going to say this, so I hope this is okay stuff. So uh, she just went... Um, I, th this is only bragging on you. I, I, I walk in and she has tears and I'm like, man, she looks like a mess, like a good mess. And, and, and she says, she says, God just adopted me. And, and, you know, the first thing I'm th I thought is yes, like 40 years ago. Um, but she's like, no, God, God was just God was just giving me the spirit of adoption, and I'm looking at her, and she's crying, but she's glowing, okay? And, and if you know my wife, and many of you do, she is very secure in her faith, but I want to tell you, as you continue to put yourself in environments with the Lord, you continue to have greater revelation of his character and his love for you, and so it's been a joy at 45 years old to see Stephanie more in love with God and more secure in his love for her and his character than ever before, and I've been watching this from the woman I fell in love with when she was 22 years old. 
But we just go from glory to glory as you continue to seek him and put yourself in environments where he's moving. So that's why we encourage you daily spend time with Jesus. Not because you're trying to to measure up, not because you're trying to check some box, but because when you get with the Father, you start understanding the Father's character. That's why it's good to be at things like this. That's why we we go to life groups and get in community, because in community we meet him. That's why we come to prayer night. It's not just so you can do work for God. It's actually so he can do work in you. And it's not just, oh, he's just trying to change me. No, he actually is wanting to bless you. And the greatest blessing is a touch from his love. If you really start knowing God, you start understanding, wow, way better than a job promotion, way better than a new car, is actually when God touches the human heart, there's no greater blessing. There's really no greater blessing in life. Let's keep moving. But Abraham said, was that okay? Can I share it in the next service too? Thanks. I think that was a yes. At 30 years, I'll understand when it was a, a yes or a no. Um, but Abram said, Sovereign Lord, Sovereign Lord, what can you... I just saw a t-shirt that said, uh, be careful, you might be in my next sermon. Um, it's dangerous to know a pastor. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. What does this tell me? Abraham's known as God's friend, and here's what I see. Abraham got real with God. We talk here about this this little catchy saying that we say, get rocked, get real, give it away. That's what we want for you, to actually get rocked, like have this encounter with God, but then get real And here's the problem, is a lot of us don't feel like we can get real with God. Can I tell you, God can can take your realness. God God wants you to be real with him. Here's what happens, is we have a bummer day, or something frustrating happens, and so we, we block ourselves off from God, because we're like, I don't feel like coming and jumping around the front of the church with my hands up, so I'm not going to approach God because he only likes it when I bounce up and down and smile and clap. And God's saying, no, come to me however you are, child, but just come to me. Like, I don't, my, my children don't just need to be happy, you know, and, and, and smiley every day. I actually want to, to be with my children however they are. Uh, actually, you, you need to be able to process with your father. So now it's you, Hallie, okay? You're sitting next to mom, so now you're, you're, this story's about you. <laughs> I didn't tell her that this was about her, but um, Hallie and I go out on dates. We went on one last night. This is not going to be about your, our date last night. This is going to be about like four or five years ago, back before you were so mature. Um, we, we, we were out on a date, and some of you are super extroverts, like the second you walk in a room, it's like someone pushes a button and brrr, you process every aspect of your life, right? Your external verbal processor, that's who you are. Some of you, it takes a while to warm up. Uh, Hallie is the second. She more takes a while. I have one son. You're going to know what he's thinking even before he's in the room with you. He's, it's, like he's, it's like you just caught him talking, right? I mean, it's like he was already talking. You just entered into that talk, right? Hallie and Stephanie are more like these little bunnies in the, you know, in the cave, and you're like, come here, some carrots, and, right? You, you nurture them. You nurture them out. 
And, and a loving father would do that. And let me just tell you, um, that's how your father is with you. You're having, most, most of us didn't have a, 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 an earthly father with a high emotional quotient. We didn't have a father that actually knew how to draw us out. How would they? They probably weren't drawn out by their father and mother, right? Now, although that's what we're trying to equip in this church is how to have a high EQ, how to draw people out, how to seek to understand. But we all need that. So Hallie and I are at Starbucks about four years ago. She's coming into her teen years. And so, you know, I buy her coffee and I... And, um, and, and, and then I just keep asking her questions, and I'm consistent. I'm like, no, you know, we're, we'll just sit here, and we'll keep talking, and finally she'll open up, and finally she opens up. And, and she starts talking to me about challenges as a teen with different friends, and I just sit and listen. I empathize. I'm thinking, okay, I want her to see empathy in my face and compassion. I want her to know I'm actually, I'm giving her time. I'm giving her compassion. I'm not just lecturing her, and, and, and then after she pours out her heart, I said, hey, let me just share some thoughts from my life. And I don't share, I don't sit and preach at her. I say some my dumb moves as a young man, and here's what hurt me, and, and here's what was hard, but here are some things I learned. And, and at the end, she was like, wow, wow, that really helped. You actually had some wisdom for me. And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm your dad. <laughs> And I'm a pastor. <laughs> I didn't say that. I, I just said, yeah, I mean, thanks for, thanks for sharing with me. And, and, and we've built this relationship where Hallie can be real and I, I can listen and I don't lecture her or even try to make her into me because she's very different than me. But I meet her in her pain. I want to comfort her. I want her to be able to process. And I want, I want, I know my presence, just a strong father, is going to bring a comfort. Now take this on to you. You probably don't have a father. Most of you, you know, you don't live with your fathers anymore, but you have a heavenly father. And whether you're an external processor, or an internal processor, whether you're in tremendous pain or not, God wants to take you on a coffee date. He wants you to open up. He wants you to be real. He wants to listen to you. And he wants even, maybe you might not even hear him immediately, but he wants to give you the comfort and counsel of his presence. So it's okay for you to say, God, you didn't give me an heir. All I got is Eliezer. And he's saying, I can take that. Just be real with me. I want to tell you that the people that were known as his friends, like Abraham and David, they're people that just poured out their, some of David's psalms, they're not all just happy praise. Some are like, God, I'm really ticked right now. I want to go, would you go knock my teeth out of my enemies? Lord, Lord right? He, he's real. So let me just tell you, it's time, church, to learn to be real with God. It's time to take your pain and be with God and know that he can handle it because the greatest thing the enemy wants to do is to drive you apart from him. And if you feel like you can only relate to God when you're in a Hillsong worship video and you're the person lost in worship, then when you don't feel like that, then you're not going to be real. So you're going to draw away from God. And I talk to people all the time that say, I got hurt and I haven't spent time with God in two weeks. And I'm going, you're doing exactly what the enemy wants you to do. So start your day like, yes, 
Start your day with our Father. And I want my kids to come and, and say, like, I don't have to be a certain way to be in the presence of the Father. Today, you walk out. So that's why I journal, okay? And I want to encourage you to journal. Find the way that it works for you. But I often will be like, God, this is hard. God, this is, it, this is challenging. Okay, gosh, I've got a lot to cover. Anyway. Then the word of the Lord came to him, and, and, and do it however, like my, one of my roommates does it at the end of the night in a leather journal. For me, I write in my iPad. Stephen often will dictate things onto a note on his iPhone verbally. I don't care how you do it. Just get away with the Lord and process. Take your emotions to the Lord. you got to take them somewhere. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. We are people of addition and subtraction. God is a God of multiplication. Let me just say that again. We're a people of addition and subtraction. We look at things and go, okay, this isn't working, but maybe I can go and like produce an Ishmael. Like maybe I, I'm going to go help God out. I'm going to go and try to make something happen. And God's like, no, trust me for the impossible because I actually do supernatural multiplication. You want one kid. I'm thinking of look up to the stars. I'm going to give you this many. And guess what? That happened. You look at the Jewish people now, they're millions and millions, right? God has created millions of descendants for this barren couple. But the, the thing is, you've got to wait. You don't make it happen in your own flesh. Oh, my job is not going well, and God promised me something, so maybe I just need to quit this job and find something just a little better. And God's saying, no, wait. Wait on me, let my supernatural power get involved, and you'll see kingdom multiplication instead of just a tiny little addition, right? Don't move until God tells you to, right? God is a God of supernatural multiplication. I, I, I was talking about my housing situation, and I'm like, why can't I be just like an ordinary person who goes and just finds the next lease or goes and just buys a house? But I, I, I knew, like, I can't do something unless I know that God is saying it, unless that God is doing it. And what happened, it took longer than I wanted, but it ended up far greater, far greater than I could have ever imagined. I, every time people come to my house, they're like, whoa, this is quite a house. And I explain how little I got it for, but you know what I always say? Only God could do this. And now it's worth three times what I bought it for five years later. Only God, God is into multiplication, yeah. right? We've moved around as a church from place to place. We're meeting in a parking lot for crying out loud. It looks like God might have forsaken that church, Right? Why can't we just go and get a normal storefront like everyone? Why can't we just get another, just little, a little bigger, a little bigger, a little bigger? Because God's saying, no, I have the most amazing piece of land on a freeway in the right moment it happens. I have an amazing building that will bless generations of people. But will you wait, child, even when it looks impossible? Will you wait? Because I want to do something that brings great glory to my name. So we have to wait on the Lord. And it says this. This is the crux of the message. Abraham 
believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Highlight that verse, underline that verse. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Let me move to Romans 4, because you need to see this is so amazing, because this is grace in the Old Testament. This is Abram's salvation moment. Romans 4, 1 through 6, what then shall we say that Abram, our father, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter, if in fact Abram was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. The, the, the problem is, if you just look at Abram and go like, wow, he was always so amazing, and that's why we're studying this scripture, because Abram's so amazing, if I can just be more like Abram, and if you, that's what you're thinking from this series so far, then you've missed the whole point. The point is, Abram, sometimes he responded by faith, which is awesome and we want to do, but a lot of times he responded in fear. But the Bible says this, when he believed God, that's when it was credited to him as righteousness. So let's keep reading. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits as righteousness apart from the law. It's not because Abraham did all these things that God saved Abraham. It's because God saw Abraham. He chose Abraham, and Abraham said, I believe in you, and God says, boom, then you're saved. Because you're not saved by your works. Most famous scripture in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So let me jump into this. The most important covenant between God and man is the free gift of salvation through Jesus. This is the gift. Okay, so let me, let me take you into the rest of the scripture. Let's start in, um, in verse probably eight. Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves uh, 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 opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut then birds came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Okay, why, why did he cut them? In a covenant ceremony, the covenant means to cut, so they'd take these animals and they would kill them, and they would cut them in half. So this is very gross, but like half a cow would be over here, and half the cow would be over here, and half the ram, and half the goat, and they're there. And then what would happen is the two individuals would come and say, we're making this covenant together. And together, they would walk through in between these dead animals, symbolizing this. If we break our treaty, let us be like these animals that were killed and torn in half. This is a solemn vow we are making. And they walk through it together saying, I am making this vow to you that I will not break this. I will keep my side of the vow. You are making this vow with me. So they walked through these dead animals cut in half. So here's my question. Did Abraham actually walk 
through these animals with God. Watch this. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They'll be enslaved and mistreated, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they'll come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not come to full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, so the thick and dreadful darkness comes on, this land, and all of a sudden Abram is asleep, and what happens? A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared. Okay, what is that? God often would manifest himself as fire. In the Exodus story, the burning bush. For the children of Israel, a pillar of fire. For the disciples at Pentecost, tongues of fire. In the book of Revelation, eyes of fire, right? God is a consuming fire. So what happens? God's saying, we're going to make this covenant, Abraham. And he goes like this, boop, puts the little Vulcan grip on him. And, and Abraham's out and can't do anything. So he's just out, and God says, I'm going through by myself. And a fire descends and goes, and walks through by itself, why? Because God's saying, I swear by myself. You're out. You can't do anything. This vow depends on me and me alone. So when God made a vow with Abraham, he was saying, this doesn't depend on you, Abraham. And what is this? This is salvation. Abraham was saved not because of his works, but because he believed. We are saved not by our works. When Jesus was sent, right, Jesus sent, and, and, and Jesus, just as Abraham was about to give his son on, on Mount Moriah, God did give his son on Mount Moriah. I'm getting ahead of the story. But Jesus was given, and when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for your sins, not because what you've done. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus paid the price. He put you, God put you to sleep. God put grip on you, Boop, and you're out. And then God said, I'm going through, and I'm making a covenant, and this is only in me. And all you have to do, son, all you have to do, daughter, is believe. And so so when I meet San Diegans, and I met for the last 14 years of leading this church, they go, I think I'm a Christian. I think I'll go to heaven. Then I'm saying, then you don't understand Scripture, because Scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but ever have everlasting life. So the question's simple. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? If you believe that he's the Messiah, if you believe he died for you, that's it. You're saved. That's the covenant. You can't break it. You can't get out of it. You're stuck. Let's make a deal. It's also why we believe that the land belongs to Israel, because he said, I'm making this deal. I'm giving you this land, all of this land, all the way to the Euphrates, all the way back here. That's why. That, don't ever get on the wrong side of God, okay? This is not 
the main part of the message, but just the land belongs to Israel. Why? Because God gave it to Abraham in a vow that he wasn't saying, Abraham, you have to keep your end of the deal. He was saying, I do it. And so he saved and he gave him the land. Today, we're talking about salvation. <laughs> so here's my question to finish our, our service. Um, are you trying to earn your salvation? Uh, like, if I could, like, get in your head, are there days that you doubt that you're saved? Are there days that you actually start questioning your salvation? If you are, you don't really believe in the unconditional covenant-making God. Are there days that you actually wonder, am I going to heaven? If you do, I want to encourage you for once and for all to say, I believe, to pray with me and put your faith in Jesus and to never question that again. Because when you question that, you're questioning the character of God. Okay, would you stand up?